Hello and welcome to The Trend. I'm Jack Dodgen, your co-host, joined as always by Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I'm tired, but what college student isn't? That's it's expected. It's expected. We're, we're always tired recording these things. That's what makes them uh, high-quality entertainment, is we never know what we're going to say because we're too tired to, to know what's going on. But I, some of that tiredness is understood. Uh, yeah. Because you're in college, sure, but uh, we've also just come off like the most ridiculous election season ever. Yes. Ever? You think like all time? Well. Is this an all timer? I said, I, I'm actually, I've got to preach a sermon in a class today. Actually, I hope I don't <laughs> have to go today because it's going to be really bad if I do. But I talk about the election and. I was typing out a manuscript yesterday, and I said ever. You know, I, that's kind of how I classified it, the, the, the craziest election ever. Um, sure. And I had to stop and think, you know, was it really? But I, I think it has to be. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty... So I remember, uh, see, it was California whenever uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, right, is running for uh, governor. Yeah. And uh, I remember hearing a lot about that, uh, different TV shows and stuff that were kind of mocking it or whatever. And I was like, that that doesn't make any sense. The guy's a movie star, and he's well, also what be doesn't make any sense was was that uh, you know Schwarzenegger was a Republican in a in a Democratic state, and so that flipped with him, the the governor control. So there was a lot of things in that that didn't make any any sense. You had yeah. political reasons, and then you had the fact that, you know, the Terminator is running for public office. Super weird. And I, I remember that being strange and people thinking it was weird. And then out of nowhere this year, there's like, you know, there are, you know, however many, like 30 Republican people who are like, yeah, I'm going to make a run for presidency this year. And one of those guys is Donald Trump. I'm like, I watched. This is the this is the guy from The Apprentice that I watched. He was also you know, in Home Alone too. Up. Home Alone two. Yeah. I I don't I don't ever. They only show like they only put the first one on during Christmas. He uh the I I can't remember the kid's name now. Anyways, he runs Kevin? into a a hotel, and I think it's a Trump hotel i'm not positive about that but he meets oh trump. like in new york yeah he meets trump in the lobby and asks okay. for directions somewhere and so trump's okay. in there for you know 30 seconds or something but he's he's in the second movie but so so this guy's a celebrity i mean there's he's been in movies he's had a tv show he's run a bunch of business he's a businessman first but you know he's just involved in a lot of things because when you run a lot of successful businesses you make a lot of money you meet a lot of people that's kind of how it how it goes and so you got this guy and then the other end you have a career politician uh, who's been <laughs> conceivably working at being the president her entire life uh, who's already been in the White House uh, with her husband for a while. Uh, and I remember it was a week ago today that we're recording this. Um, 
I was up watching the election results and I'm just like, you know, I wonder how bad Trump's going to lose, right? And I'm watching this thing. I'm like, what in the world is happening? And that's not to say, uh, dear listeners uh, who who are listening to this, that I was excited either way. I was kind of like, well, I'm not really excited about whoever wins this thing, but that's that's not really the topic of discussion today. But I was I was pretty sure Trump was not just going to lose, but that he was going to get smoked. Um, I was I will <laughs> say this isn't related at all, but I was kind of interested to see if Hillary were to win, what they would call Bill. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what would that? What? What's the first man? What? Yeah. What's the first man going to be? I mean, it, who's in the? Yeah, because we've never really had that kind of situation come up yet. I, I, I guess we'll have to wait to figure out what we're. I suppose pe- people. I don't know who those people are. Have some time to figure out. Yeah, I, I we're gonna have to wait because Trump won. Unless uh, all these protesters kind of get their. Uh, get their way with this and get something reversed, <laughs> which kind of, <laughs> so, so we had this crazy election. I'm like, okay, Trump's going to get smoked. Both of these candidates, like this is the lowest, I think, uh, rating of presidential candidates we've ever had. Right. And, uh, I would like to I've say seen. this is the first election as an eligible voter. And this is what I come into, you know, the, yeah, enjoy it. The, these, <laughs> you're welcome. I, I've got, I'm stuck with Trump and, and Hillary, and you've got the, this craziest election, and you know I, I'm very interested in politics, and so I've kept up with elections in the past, you know, watching the news and stuff like that. But it's it's different when you're actually eligible to to say something in right in it, and you know this is kind of what you're you're, you're stuck with. Um, yeah, so definitely was, not good. For the first timers who kind of had, well, do you want uh, one of the lowest rated presidential options in history or do you want the other lowest rated presidential option in history? So the way this worked out, if you hadn't noticed, uh, and if you hadn't noticed this, uh, good job. You've been able to successfully avoid reality for the last week. Um, But uh, half the nation was going to be upset about whoever won. I don't know that it would have turned out the same way had the other side won and whatever, but that's also, that's conjecture. It's not really, uh, here, here are the facts. Uh, we had this crazy election. Somebody wins. Half the nation's going to be upset about it. Uh, well, that's not true. The entire nation's going to be upset about it, but half the nation's going to be really upset one direction because of how they view the other candidate. And uh, so we have this crazy response. One of it is because, uh, Spencer, I'm going to let you tackle the other one because you've got feelings about it. Uh, but one of the responses is we're going to go out and protest, uh, burn stuff, destroy stuff. You know, the, the typical thing you do when you get angry, uh, just kind of take out that rage. And uh, so we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of petitioning for Electoral College to change what their votes are. Uh, so that Hillary wins instead, and uh, now speaking of a crazy election, yeah. imagine if that happened. Oh, to just to flip things around, yeah, that would not—that'd be so bad not, because the the other side would be so 
ticked off. Well, not even that. I mean that, but think about <laughs> how ticked off the the other side's going would be, and not to mention the states that the electors came from, who left the oh, state yeah. promising to vote a certain way. Because in essence, you've got two groups of electors in each state, a Republican and a Democrat. And so you're voting for those electors that have been chosen by the state to say, if asked, I will go and vote for Trump or I will go and vote for, for how is that not How has that not been abused? So, I, How has that not been like, uh, yeah, well, I know I promised this, but I'm going to do this instead. I don't know. I think every election you have, I, I think they say at least one, but it's normally just like one elector will flip. And and it's normally like third party. Like I said, I was going to go and vote for, for Trump and I vote for, what is it Johnson for the Libertarian? Yeah. You know, something like that, um, you know, happens every once in a while. And it's just like one guy does that, but apparently there's never been a problem. Weird. Uh, I would say that that would be completely unfair to do something like that if the states voted who they voted for. At the same time, Trump did not win the the popular vote, so no. But oh, what that brings you into the whole discussion, which is now big on social media, is you know how we're not a pure democracy. We're a democratic republic, republic yeah. and, you know, the importance of the electoral college makes him go to, to more states. I mean, you don't have to go to like Texas and California, but you've got to go to, you know, you think of big states, North Carolina, Ohio, Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, uh, those kind of places that you wouldn't yeah. have to go to. You'd go to, you know, New York, California. Uh, Dallas. Yeah. You win those just... places, you win the popular. It's over. Right. You, know, you... <clears throat> So that, that makes sense. But uh, so getting back to the crazy response. Yeah. Uh, we've got topic. protest petitions. And then you have. <laughs> well, uh, the, f- the, the third thing here is puppies, uh, which is real weird. Uh, puppies and canceled tests, and uh, how do you, as a college student, a feel puppy. about <laughs> the colleges uh, providing uh, coloring sheets and puppy relaxation time and canceled midterms uh, to these college students who didn't like the outcome of the election? Well, um, considering that, and I'm not complaining about being here doing this. I'm I'm glad to be here making this podcast, but so I had a basketball <laughs> game last night and so no studying got done yesterday until we got back to campus at midnight, at which time I had to write a sermon for today that when I get done with this, I'm going to go preach and then spend the rest of the night writing another paper um, that's due. And so zero sleep will be had between now and Thanksgiving break because, you know, teachers make you turn all kinds of stuff and tests before a break. Um, oh, yeah. So that's how I spend all of my time. But people at, like, Yale, 
are having their midterms. They're they're optional, is yeah. what I've I, I've Yale. heard. So so you can take them or you can't. Um, which I've never understood the optional thing because if you have the option of not taking the midterm, why would you take the midterm? I'm pretty sure you always have the option, but it's like, hey, if you don't take this, you fail. Yeah, like you you're gonna. You're going to have to do this again and give us more money kind of thing. But yeah, like Yale, uh, I saw Michigan Law had a thing, though they canceled it. Um, so a law school, that's real good. My stress uh, level this. would go down so much. I would be in such a better mood consistently if they got rid of all of this <laughs> stuff. I'm reminded, uh. I had a teacher that emailed the entire class to say that we we had like a participation grade for showing up to class. Sure. Uh, which, if, if I'm being honest, does not deter me from skipping class. <laughs> but he emailed everybody and said it's class today is, is optional. Uh, if, if you don't come, it doesn't count towards your participation. Sure. And so... I had to go to class because I was giving a presentation that day. <laughs> and so I went there, and there was literally four people there. Because why, why would you go? He thought, yeah. he said, well, I thought this would get more people here. And I'm thinking, how in the world is it going to get more people here when you tell them they don't have to be here? You trust people too much, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's too much. So doesn't work. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, so that's – that's uh, it, wait. Here, here's something a little practical before we kind of get into um, talking about uh, this election and kind of the, the Christian response to all that, since that's what this podcast is about. Uh, here's something to be doing. Uh, whenever you look at, on the news and you're like, look at all these millennials who are uh, fulfilling the stereotype that we typically have of millennials, uh, you can be upset with them, but uh, take a moment to pray for people like Spencer and I, who uh, this is our generation, and these are the people that we will be preaching to for the next, you know, uh, 60 years of our life, probably, conceivably, and uh, that's not exciting. And the uh, fact this, that I still have midterms to take. Oh, yeah, and also, so, uh, you know. because Spencer's in Oklahoma, he doesn't get to, uh, <laughs> he doesn't get breaks. <laughs> Because uh, they're gonna treat him like an adult here and expect him to deal with stress. So, uh, anyway, moving on from that, uh, how how does a Christian respond to the election? That we've got a few thoughts on this. The the first couple we'll go through quick, uh, and then we'll spend a little more time on some of these others. And we're already kind of long in our you you and I both as sermon writers and storytelling kind of people, we're kind of long winded. It's true. The yeah. people who said it to you and me were not wrong. I, uh, I I will say, not to add more time, but I was really excited. The last sermon I gave in my homiletics class was like four minutes under the maximum time. Like it was, was very, the max- very what's the maximum short. Time? We give 10 to 12 minute sermons to kind of practice condensing okay. material. Sure. Which is really good for me, but I normally go like 15, <laughs> but I went eight last time. So That's pretty good. I'm That's getting better. 
you're getting better. My friend preached 45 minutes the other day, and he said, but I think it was great, and people told me that they didn't know that it went long. And I said, how long do you normally preach? He said, well, like 20 minutes. I said, so nobody else thought you did great. Because <laughs> you, you essentially preached two sermons and started working on a third uh, in their minds. But anyway, so how does a Christian respond to the election? Well, first thing, uh, I wrote an article on start to finish uh, for Strong Church that uh, I'll post in the the body of this article here. Um, and the first thing I wrote was, you got to handle it with trust. I wrote it before, I wrote it the day before uh, we knew who was going to win. I fully expected Hillary to win this thing, as we talked about at the beginning. And so uh, I expected a lot of my Christian friends to be upset. A lot of my Christian friends are still upset, and that's understandable, uh, because, again, not really great candidates this time around. But you handle it with trust. Um, you go through and look at Scripture. You've got uh, the you got Israel in Assyrian captivity and Babylonian captivity, uh, then captivity with the Persians, uh, and then they deal with Greece for a long period of their history in between Old and New Testament, and then they have a Rome throughout all the New Testament, and in all those places there's a lot of persecution. Uh, Rome especially, uh, in Greece there was a lot uh, that they had to combat, and uh, in places like Babylon and stuff, there was a little more freedom. Uh, when you go read Daniel and all that stuff, he was able to accomplish quite a lot. But even going back even further than that, you had Egypt, who was oppressive. I mean, there's uh, Christians, God-fearing people have always dealt with, it seems, for at least a lot of their life, oppressive governments who won't let them do the things that God expects them to do, uh, but you trust that God's going to take care of it anyway. Um, one of these passages that I I like to read and go over, uh, Zephaniah 3, and it's verses 9 through 20. It's, it's a long section right there at the end, but all the way up leading to that point, God's going to destroy uh, these nations, but he says at the very end there, uh, God's going to leave a remnant of Christians who are going, you know, God's going to protect and shelter uh, those that are God's people and keep them around um, for whatever nation comes in next. And so we have to trust that no, even if we don't like who's in power or who has the ability that God's going to make it okay. So that's trust. Uh, then you respond with prayer. Pretty simple. First uh, Timothy two one through four. You pray for those who are in high positions. Uh, you pray that, as Timothy says, uh, pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Uh, this is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So we pray for our government officials that we would be able to live out our Christianity uh, freely. But we also pray, uh, I believe what Paul is trying to get out there is, we also pray for our officials because God wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that includes the elective officials, even the ones that we may not like very much. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, if we had a group of elected officials that were saved, uh, that were God-fearing Christian people, that would be fantastic. Uh, if we don't, we trust. If we do, we still trust. Um, 
but uh, the way we kind of change the hearts and minds of those people is going to be through prayer. So we trust, we pray. This is the one we will spend a few minutes on here. Uh, we submit to the government, even if we don't like who they are, their authority, all that kind of stuff. And uh, Spencer, you were telling me a little bit uh, about some thoughts you had in, in Romans 13, uh, yeah. big government passage. Go ahead. The The first seven verses of Romans 13, Paul deals with the government. And <clears throat> there's kind of three things that stuck out to me. The first is simply that he says we are to submit to the, the government. We're not to uh, resist them as long as they are not telling us to do something that is against our beliefs as a Christian. Obviously, our first allegiance is to God and to do and not do what he asks us to do. So as long as the government doesn't cross those boundaries and is asking us to, to do things that there's no problem with us doing. Paul gives examples of different kinds of, of taxes and honor and things like that. Nothing wrong with us giving those things. And so he says, submit. Don't resist that. Do those things. But in in the Greek there, there's the idea of, of order, that they are are not to resist, to kind of keep an order in society, uh, specifically probably within their town, the in the city of Rome, that they're living in. And so why why is that? What's up with the idea of trying to keep keep order? Don't resist so you keep order. And, and for them it was probably so that... You know, you upset the authorities, you upset the government, they may come kill all of the, the Christians. And so obviously you don't want that to to happen, especially if they're not telling you to do anything that's wrong. Why would you stir right. up something that could cost you your life? And I think that's applicable to today in that, you know, we don't always like what the, the government does or the decisions that they make or or what happens, and, and that's okay. And... Even voicing or, or protesting something, I don't think, if if done correctly, there's anything wrong with that. But when you get into some of the riots, some of the more violent things, even in expressing an opinion in hateful language, divisive language, things like that, it, all that does is it stirrups that that chaos, kind of like and it's, Paul's. It's what we're seeing now, right? Yeah. I mean, the, with a lot of the protesting that's going on, there's chaos in those particular places or even on just social media and stuff. The way people are voicing opposition is causing divides between, between people. Whereas if everybody would just say, you know, I don't like this, but this is what I'm supposed to do. Uh, that would hopefully quell a lot of this yeah. uh, unrest and, and bring a little bit of order here. And I think Paul's answer, what Paul would tell us is, why would you react that way? Think about how those outside of Christianity look at you when you do something like that. The thoughts that they have about Christians when we respond in that manner. Why are we stirring up chaos when it gives us this negative view from the outside? I mean, the government's not going to come and kill us like they would of the first century Christians, but... 
it still doesn't give a good resume of Christianity. Right. I think when we respond that way. And Yeah, and that's a lot of Paul's stuff too is how how does how do outsiders view you? Uh well, they view you on the basis of your actions. So how uh, in responding to the government and Romans. And, and before he talks about the government in chapter 13, he spends all that time in 12, you know, with the uh, love one another, repay no one evil for evil, outdo one another in showing uh, honor, and just on and on with all these uh, kind of commands there, and this is how you should live. Yeah, cha- and ch- chapter 12 ends kind of with, this is how you treat those within your group of Christianity, and this is... And then this is how you treat those that are outside. Um, in a in a culture that was very group oriented, the the way the group interacted inside determined a lot of things about their their success and and their view and the way that they were treated on the the outside. I mean, those things were very yeah. much interspersed. So it was a big thing for Paul. How are you? How are you acting in, internally, and how is that affecting? I mean, are other people going to want to come join your group, leave their kin groups to come join yours if you're causing all kinds of trouble? Yeah, it's it's not a question in Paul's mind as to are people going to see this. It, Paul's always like, you know, the world is looking at you, and when you behave this way, this is their the impression they get. Well, that same thing is still true. Um, maybe not more so, but it is, uh, still true in the sense that here we have this, uh, I mean, I've, I've connected with all kinds of people online that I've never actually met that I'm giving some kind of window into Christianity. Uh, and for a lot of people, uh, on the outside looking in during this political season, it's, it's not been a good look whatsoever. Um. but uh, anyway, submission to keep order uh, as we continue on there. Um, you mentioned something uh, before we started recording this, uh, some kind of implication for those who would be elected officials. Uh, yeah, and I'll this make this here. short, but the argument that Paul is we, making, we don't have to lie to the listeners. We know that that's not true. I will <laughs> make know this it. shorter than I could. Short-ish. Paul's argument for why they are to submit to the government, why it's okay for them to try to keep order and keep peace with the elected officials, is that he says that they're workers of good on behalf of God, that God uses the government's influence to tell people to do what is good. Yeah, as a worker for him. And so I think on the flip side of that, if, if God tries to use governments to, in essence, make and help people to do what is right and therefore punish those that do not, I think on the flip side of that, you also have to take into consideration that the governments have some kind of responsibility to do that, especially if those that are elected officials, those that are in the government, are Christians. If God wants to use government to help people do what's right, to punish that which is evil, then I think he also expects those Christians that are in those positions to do just that, to stand up for what is good, uh, to stand against 
what is evil, to allow God at least to use them in their position to try to to do that, to try to use one of the forces that he that God uses to do his will is the government, as Paul is saying. So I think there is some responsibility that lands on the government, some responsibility that lands on elected Christians to help God, in essence, in doing yeah. that. And you look at uh, you look in Daniel at Babylon, and you had uh, the king who went crazy for a while until he realized that God is the greatest uh, of them all. That he was that he was nothing in comparison to God, and that uh, that perspective is what allowed him to continue on for a long time until his son kind of took over for a bit and then lured them into you know the Persian changing of hands there, but. Uh, and- Think about Joseph, who rose to power in Egypt, uh, a Jew rising to, uh, an Israelite rising to power in in another government establishment of Egypt. And through that, what did he do? He, He stood for what was right. He stood against what was wrong in his position. And God used him, and in essence, through using him, used... Um, the government of Egypt at that time uh, to save and protect the Israelites during a famine. And, you know, eventually that turns bad when Pharaoh comes and forgets about Joseph. But in that particular moment, it was through Joseph's influence in Egypt's government that God was able to help his people. Yep. So, um, okay, so kind of building off that as we close here, you people who are in a in an elected position and able to make change there, that's that's some application for you. But this uh, also for you, but for anybody else listening to this, just uh, you know, a Christian who's not involved, maybe politically or anything like that, uh, whether you care about politics or not, uh, we respond with with action to uh, whoever is in authority. And uh, I think one of the mistakes that we make, uh, a couple of the mistakes we make when it comes to election seasons and all that is, one, uh, we think that the whoever is president, they're the ones who, who have all the power to do all of this stuff. And so we take that one of two ways. Either, you know, if this person wins, they're going to completely dismantle Christianity. Um, that's not true. And then we look at the flip side, and we have some people who go, well, if, but if this person wins, uh, then they'll completely turn us around and make everybody a Christian in this nation. That's also not true. Um, the person who is president has power, but so do those in Congress, so do those uh, in the House, in the Senate, the Supreme Court. So do you, uh, and so do your neighbors, and so does your congregation, wherever you are, Uh we we overestimate, and I've said this a bunch of times uh, on Twitter during this season and all that, but we overestimate the power of uh, people in these positions of authority, and we greatly underestimate the power that we have as, as individuals, uh, especially as the church coming together and what we can accomplish is far greater than we give ourselves credit for. Uh, not because of our ability, but because of God's, but when we unite behind Him— we're able to accomplish quite a bit. Uh, when when Peter is talking about in First Peter submitting to the government, the government that's killing these Christians, 
He tells them that uh, they need to continue to do good and they need to live as servants of God. And uh, the government can make being a Christian more difficult, but it can't stop you from from being a Christian. can't stop you from worshiping God, from loving God, from loving people. Uh, and so it doesn't matter who is the elected official, if they uh, promote godlessness uh, or godliness, if they uh, are you know, uh, very against life or, you know, for, uh, the life of, you know, children and those kinds of things. It it doesn't matter where they fall, um, because Christians never stop fighting for what's right. Uh, and so that's how we respond. Uh, ultimately who's in power does not matter. Uh, what matters is whether Christians are actually going to start and, or continue, uh, to live as they're supposed to. And, if that is the case, while it takes a while because it's on an individual by individual basis, that's how you change. That's how you change a, a nation. That's how you change a world uh, is by spending time with people, uh, living as Christians in your community. People seeing that and you interacting that way. You're not just going to get a president in who gets everybody to convert. That's not how this works. Um, Government has its purpose, but its purpose is not evangelism. That's that's our job. Uh, and so if we want to change the minds of people, that's what we have to do is act, uh, no matter who is in power. That is the trend. Uh, believe it or not, you'll believe this. Everybody at home is going to believe this. Uh, we meant for this podcast to be half as long as it was. And then well, Spencer and I started talking. You know. That's <laughs> as it as it goes. Uh, that's that's how it is. But uh, we hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, if there is anything trending you wanted us to talk about that we missed, maybe on this show, let us know uh, at our email, thetrendpod at gmail dot com. Uh, we'd be happy to talk about it. Kind of give our perspective on those things. And we hope that this stuff was uh, was good for you, Spencer. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and don't forget to pray for those that still have to take. Midterms still have to go to class. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are still people, college students, who are having to do, you know, college and stuff. Uh, so keep those people in your prayers and also act. Uh, love your neighbors. Help those that are hurting. Uh, and that's how we're going to change this nation and, and get better, no matter who the president is. That's the trend. We'll see you all next time. Mm-hmm.